Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. At Merck Animal Health, we're shaping the future of animal health with pioneering science, connected technology, and insights-driven solutions to bring our customers an unparalleled portfolio of choices to improve cattle care and operational efficiency. We support you and your legacy by helping you meet the challenges of today with the innovations of tomorrow. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. We're gonna have a great show today. Our guest is Dr. Mike Sanderson from the College of Veterinary Medicine at Kansas State University. We're gonna talk about biosecurity and the cow herd. Stay tuned. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson, and we're here at Kansas State University where we have a guest, Dr. Mike Sanderson, who is the Jones Professor of Epidemiology at the College of Veterinary Medicine, and you are in the Department of Diagnostic Medicine and Pathobiology. Is that correct? It is. All right, great. And uh, Dr. Sanderson has been a colleague and a friend for for two decades, and um, he is a uh, known throughout the country when it comes to beef epidemiology and beef cattle medicine. Um, just a tremendous resource uh, on many different topics, but we're going to talk about biosecurity today. Good, great topic. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, appreciate you, Mike. And uh, so when we talk about, you know, kind of leading off, you said maybe we'd talk about just finding out what kind of diseases you have in the herd. Well, I think that is important. Is there there's not a lot of point in spending money excluding diseases that you already have. So it's good to, to have a little bit of an idea of what you already have. Uh, for example, if BVD is already in the herd, uh, you, you may want to get rid of it, um, but spending your money keeping it out when it's already there is of no value. Right. What are some of the things or disease opportunities that you would be thinking about with that internal right. assessment? In order to do that, you, you need to have some decent records about performance and things, and, and that will often give you some good clues about what might be going on. At, at other times, getting um, some good necropsy data from animals that die, when you have calves that die, or anything that's sort of an unexplained death at least, it's good to get your veterinarian out, have a good necropsy done, get some diagnoses so you know what's already in the herd. Yeah. Um, certainly, there's some things you can work to get rid of and keep out, other things that they're just everywhere and you know, you're probably not going to be able to either get rid of them or keep them out. Right, right. And there are things that I would assume that's based on how it's transmitted. It is. And to some extent, just how common it is. So IBR, for example, is just everywhere. You, you, there's no point in trying to um, keep IBR out of a herd. Um, but we can't manage it. BVD, on the other hand, um, is a bad disease, but it's not everywhere. And you can establish a free herd with some some careful work. So we can do things with viruses, some bacteria, or, or maybe, and then parasites, and all these different levels yeah. of understanding of how they impact performance, how they impact reproduction. Uh, you know, I, I guess that's how you start to see it. I think that's how you start, and and then just having a good relationship with your veterinarian so that they can help you understand the differences between those different agents and how they may be introduced, how they may act, and what you can do to control them if you can't get rid of them or get rid of them if that's possible. Yeah. So uh, I assume that if you're going to do something with endemic disease or kind of look at what's going on within your herd, 
there'd be a certain sampling protocol too if after after you identify something because you would wouldn't necessarily have to test them all to start out with, would you? Right. Yeah, and, and and that's something else that your veterinarian can help you with as far as who you should sample within the herd. Um, there may be particular groups that are more important than others, and then how many do you need to sample in order to get a good estimate of what's really going on? So if you start to see something like a decreased conception rate, or you have decreased growth rates, or, or animals not reaching physiological maturity when when you think they should, start to look at some of these diseases, work with yeah. your veterinarian, because they're gonna call somebody like Dr. Sanderson and help, help yeah. he's gonna help us design a plan. Yeah, hopefully. Great. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about how you kind of contain those types of diseases within your herd with Dr. Mike Sanderson. DNA Dialogue is brought to you by Igenity Branded, powered by Neogen. So value-added programs, I think, are a, a really rapidly evolving part of the industry. So what value-added programs do is they allow producers who normally might just market their calves as a commodity to capture some of the added value that they can contribute downstream in the supply chain. So in, in the instance of a producer that maybe sells all of his calves at weaning, he can all of a sudden within value added program get compensated for utilizing superior genetics. Um, these added value programs can also um, entail things like health protocols, management protocols, weaning protocols, um, but more recently they've integrated genetics in. So all of a sudden producers are able to get compensated for making selection decisions that look further down uh, the value chain past where they typically would market their calves. So uh, a producer who doesn't market his animals on a, a merit-based grid, right? He's not retaining ownership. He can still get paid for making a genetic selection decision that puts some selection emphasis on things like carcass weight, marbling, fat, and all of those um, traits that ultimately are, are important down the value chain. So these value-added programs at the end of the day help us coordinate between these market segments and make genetic selection decisions um, that are consistent all the way to that end product. Angus GS, powered by Neogen, is the highest industry standard in genomic testing for your whole herd. Contact the American Angus Association to test today. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Mike Sanderson. And Dr. Sanderson is a professor in the College of Veterinary Medicine. He is the Jones Professor of Epidemiology. He uh, is in the Department of Diagnostic Medicine and Pathobiology, and we're here in Manhattan talking about cows and diseases and biosecurity. Great topic. Absolutely. Something that we enjoy anyway. <laughs> um, uh, talk to me a little bit about, because one of the things that's intriguing to me is how do we maintain, you know, we have a herd, we have herds or groups within herds. And so how do we, how do we help contain disease within herds to not spread it to everybody? There's a a number of things you can try and do. And, and we talk about something called risk group segregation. So that sounds uh, hard, but it, it isn't necessarily. We'd like to manage different groups so that if we get disease in one, it doesn't transmit to another. 
um, young calves is a great example in that we, we'd actually like to manage those as different age groups. So the calves that are born early in the year, we really don't want to have contact with the calves that are born later in the year until, you know, we're out on grass oil. Um, because those older calves can be the source of infection for the young calves that are much more susceptible to it. So that would be an example of sort of segregating those grit, those groups to try and control diarrhea, in this case, transmission within the calf herd. So if we had something where we're calving year round <laughs> and we're weaning twice a year, um, you're going to have cattle from all different types of, from age groups yeah. and weights is just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, they, yeah the, the calves that are young calves in that group at any particular time, um, you know, less than six weeks of age or something, are going to be high risk for whatever else everybody else is spreading around. So you, you've just sort of always got that group and, it, and unless you can segregate everything into groups of one, it's pretty hard. To... Yeah. <laughs> Any other uh, types of ideas, vaccinations, uh, you know, I'm assuming that having, a, if there's a vaccine available, having the appropriate vaccine protocol is, and, and is important. Yeah, so vaccines are, are, are really important. They rarely provide sterile immunity, probably never. Yeah. So we don't, we can't vaccinate animals and expect that they will never get disease, but it, if they're good vaccines, they'll decrease um, clinical signs. They may not have clinical signs at all, and they'll likely decrease the amount of shedding that an animal does so they doesn't expose other animals as much. So as part of an overall plan, vaccines are really valuable and important. Yep. And I assume that, that you know, when we start to talk about these diseases based on your geography and, you know, yeah. what different things yeah. are endemic in different parts of the U.S., that working yeah. with that veterinarian to understand Absolutely. They'll know their practice area around there, and they will um, also have some inroads to the local diagnostic lab. So they'll have a lot better idea of, you know, what are the things we really should be concerned about. So when we start to think about that, then understanding that, that how, what virus or what bacteria you're trying to keep out is important, right? Because that, cause you got to know how it's transmitted. transmitted. Yep. So if it's a vector, we're going to focus on controlling the vectors. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, and, uh, oh. Right. So you have to control that vector and um, you and one, you can do that with segregation, but it's got to be segregated far enough that it's farther than that vector will fly. Right. So that can be challenging. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, any more understanding or ideas on within herd? Yeah. So and a couple other things that could just be very helpful is being careful about equipment. So we wouldn't want to like clean the pens and then use that that loader to feed calves. Um, those sort of things where we can take ma manure yeah. from the adult cow herd and transfer it to the calves yeah. can be a really bad thing. Cool. Well, some great information. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about keeping some bad things out of your herd with Dr. Mike Sanderson. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk, Dr. Dan Thompson and Dr. Mike Sanderson. And we're in Manhattan, Kansas, where Dr. Sanderson 
is the Jones Professor of Epidemiology at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Kansas State University. And uh, we've known each other for over a couple of decades and got to work together. And uh, Dr. Sanderson is one of those that when you have an issue, you know he's going to be there, he's going to help, and he's, he's so responsive and very thankful for all you've done for veterinary medicine and for the beef industry. And for you too, Dan. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, we've talked about keeping, you know, controlling, finding the disease in the inner herd, and then while we're getting rid of it, make sure we don't spread it from big mm -hmm. cattle to little cattle and, and all that. But the other side of this is is maintaining a herd. If you have, if you go to all this work right. to clean it up, now I want to keep things out. Yeah. How do I do that? Well, that, that can be challenging. Um, and again, this is a place where having your local veterinarian really get involved and help you with that can be can be great. Um, it, again, as we've talked before, it, it depends on which pathogen, which virus, bacteria, or otherwise we're talking about. Um, they each act a little bit differently in how they're transmitted and whether or not they may have a carrier state um, in the animal. And so that changes how you may implement a plan to keep them out. Um, so we could talk about a couple examples. Yep. For, yeah. um, if we take BVD, for example, yep. um, common problem yep. and, um, and can cause some really severe issues. Uh, testing animals can be an effective way to try to control introduction, but you got to be right about yep. who you test and when. Um, so for example, our biggest concern with that is persistently infected animals. And it, they come in often I, you could purchase them as calves, could be a heifer that you purchased, but it could be a heifer that's not persistently infected. She's fine, but the calf within her is persistently infected. Right. So if you tested that heifer, you'd say she's negative, but come calving time, you have a PI in the herd. The Trojan horse. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you kind of have to get some guidance about who you test and when yep. um, in order to effectively exclude BVD from a, from a herd. So then what about quarantine? So again, that's a great example, and quarantine works really well for diseases that are that are going to manifest themselves um, in some manner, and the animal get over it during the period of quarantine, so that you can quarantine them. If they have disease, they get over it, and then you introduce them to the herd. If they're persistently infected right. in some way, then that may not work. They may harbor that infection throughout the quarantine period and then take it on into the herd. Um, so it, again, it sort of depends on the, the particular disease that you're interested in, how effective quarantine is. You may also quarantine in the case of BVD, just during the period when you're waiting for test results. Right, right. And so, but for, for a lot of times, yeah, especially if you're just looking for PIs, right. but like for transient infection and, and, and as we discussed, you know, that can be 17 to 21 days. Is that, I am assuming that's why a lot of quarantines are 30 days long, that most disease processes or viruses are cleared from the body by then? Right. So that 30 days in some cases would be longer than you need, but just to be sure you don't miss anything, that's a fairly typical. And if they're if they have a carrier state, then no duration is long enough. So we need to do those some other way. And then lastly, we talked about it on, on within herd, but I'm assuming that understanding vaccine history of the animals that are coming right. in and 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 having a, a processing protocol or a herd right. health protocol for arrivals is right. important. 
So, and I think that's a great point because one of the best ways to manage your biosecurity is when you buy, buy from herds who have good herd health programs and good biosecurity themselves, and they'll be much less likely to be infected. If you're interested in Yoni's disease, then that's almost the only way to control it. Testing individual animals at entry to the herd for Yoni's is almost useless. Yep. Buying animals from negative herds is, is a pretty effective way to keep it out. Perfect. Communication, communication, get your vet involved. Uh, all great advice from Dr. Sanderson. When we come back, we're going to talk about ramping up in case of a foreign animal disease. You're watching Doc Talk. We're sure glad you joined us. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Mike Sanderson, and we're at Kansas State University uh, where Dr. Sanderson serves in the Department of Diagnostic Medicine and Pathobiology as the Jones Professor of Epidemiology in the College of Veterinary Medicine at K-State. Um, great show so far, thank you. Thank you. And um, let's talk a little bit now about, um, you know, you have done a lot of work with biosecurity and foreign animal disease, specifically foot and mouth disease. Yeah. So we talked about some of these little practices we do. Tell me how it would change. Yeah in the case of a yeah. foreign animal disease outbreak. I, I tell people this is with a part of my work that I do that I hope turns out to be utterly useless because I hope we never get a foot and mouth right. disease outbreak. I'm with you. But uh, yeah, if once that happens, because foot and mouth disease is so infectious, it's so easily transmitted, and because it's such a big deal from a trade standpoint and everything else, uh, the level of biosecurity will have to be elevated dramatically. So the things that you would do here are, are not everyday practices, and no one's suggesting that producers should do these kind of things. But once FMD's here, um, then you probably wanna be very strict about importing animals. Um, and only from herds that you have reason to believe don't have FMD. Not just you haven't heard, but but you have they have done some taken some positive steps to decrease the risk that they would be a source for you. Um, so really careful that way as far as imports. And I would I, I'd like my sources to be also implementing a really enhanced biosecurity plan. And when you mean imports. Yeah, I mean imports from another herd to my yep, herd, yep, not, yep. not external. No, yep. So uh, I, I'd like them to be doing that as well. For within my herd, I, I want it pretty closed off. I, I want to be controlling traffic on and off of my premises. Um, don't let people on that, that you don't have to. Um, try to control wildlife contact. <laughs> That's a pretty yeah. big challenge, but I would try to do as much as I could to control wildlife contact. Because um, deer... Deer are, are potential, that certainly can get FMD and and could transmit it then. Yep. So yep. Um, if you're in an area where there isn't any around you, then the deer are probably not a problem, at least not yet. Yep. Um, but I would still be very careful. We talk about something called a line of separation, which really is just a line like a moat that you'd put around your farm and and control access. Um, preferably trucks that might come on um, are going to get washed yeah. before they come on and probably washed before they go off. So we'd like to limit that. And we'd like to set it up so that if we need feed deliveries, we could 
have the truck stop outside our line of separation. The truck doesn't come across it, so it doesn't contaminate everything. And we auger feed across the, the huh. fence or something. Um, we would be doing serious things to try and control I've even seen, any introduction. I've even seen on some of these swine truck washouts that yeah. they have drying units for the trailers that take them to like bake them. Yeah. To get hot enough yeah. to kill bacteria and, and viruses. Yeah, they, they did that for PED. Yeah. And because they had to. Yeah. Luckily, we haven't had anything as bad as the swine guys do. <laughs> no, um, just a great show. Thanks. Thanks for spending time with us. Thank you, Dan. And um, remember, always work with your local veterinarian. And if you want to find out what we do, you can find us on the web at www.doctalktv.com. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson with Dr. Mike Sanderson, and we'll see you down the road. At Merck Animal Health, we're shaping the future of animal health with pioneering science, connected technology, and insights-driven solutions to bring our customers an unparalleled portfolio of choices to improve cattle care and operational efficiency. We support you and your legacy by helping you meet the challenges of today with the innovations of tomorrow.